are listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry, please visit EnduringWord.com. Welcome to uh, Enduring Word Question and Answer on Thursdays. Um, I'm not, obviously, David Guzik. Um, he is unavailable. So I'm, my name is Chuck Musselwhite, and I'm the pastor of the Village Chapel, um, not too far from um, in, South, in Southern California. And uh, I'm also an Enduring Word board member. And, uh, and so he asked me to fill in for him today because he couldn't, um, couldn't be here. And so I gladly did that. And I'm, so I'm here to answer your questions. If you have any questions, please put them in the side and the, co- and the moderator will send them to me and I will answer them to the best of my ability. Um, and uh, hopefully you can hear me well, and I'm kind of using a new system here. There we go. And I just want to, um, just to, to, to help you out today. So if you have any questions, we also want to welcome all of the uh, viewers from the, uh, um, let me get this right. Cause my dyslexia always, always gets me here, but, uh, it's the, uh, TWR 360 site. We're glad that you're here and to partner with us. And, uh, and so if you have any questions as well, you can send them. I want to start off with a question today. Um, it's not so much a question, but I just want to share a little testimony of what God has done in my life in the last month. And so the question that I'm starting with is, is Jesus enough? And so the last month of my life um, has been um, pretty crazy. Uh, um, all summer, I worked on a project for our church, um, about two and a half months of just crazy work um, that basically um, fell uh, fell apart um, in the last week. Um, and uh, it was kind of devastating. Um, and I had to tell the church about that. Um, that was in the middle of August. Um, a couple days later, after telling the church about this uh, project that fell through, um, that we had, um, we're investing some money in um, to kind of, it was for a different facility and stuff. Um, a couple of days after that, uh, um, I got a phone call that our uh, longtime bookkeeper, um, who has been an employee at the church for 10 years, been my coworker for 10 years, just my buddy, I found out that she passed away suddenly. Um, and then that evening, um, I had to go to the emergency room because my doctor um, said that I had a blood clot in my leg and I needed to get an ultrasound and I couldn't wait to go through the proper channels because it was, my leg was starting to swell. And so um, that was the first time I've ever been to the emergency room my whole life or anything. And so that was, uh, uh, we were there most of the night that night, kind of just dealing with that. Um, and, um, and then a couple of days later, which also happened to be my 52nd birthday, my daughter um, gave me COVID my birthday. And that's where uh, things really started to get interesting because um, my, uh, my health um, was, I wasn't in bad health, but I was just physically and emotionally exhausted from everything that had been going on in the summer. And then everybody had, everything that had transpired, transpired um, that, uh, that week. And um, I came home from work on that Monday and just told my wife I wasn't feeling well and ended up being in bed um, for the whole next week. Um, well, and, and past that too, but I mean, really just exhausted Monday through Thursday. And there was some time around Thursday morning 
where I was just laying in bed. I had absolutely no energy. Um, I was sitting there just contemplating everything that happened, the uh, failure of the project, um, the loss of a uh, longtime coworker, and and even just the the the, the blood clot on my 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 leg. Which um, to kind of give you a little background, 25 years ago, my my mom uh, had passed away um, from a blood clot to her heart. So it's a it's a serious health issue, at least in our family. And just kind of just dealing with all of that. And then of course Satan takes those situations and he likes to compound on them. And uh, he really um, was hitting me that morning, just like you know, Chuck, you're a failure. Uh, okay. Sorry about, can you guys hear me now? All right. Are we back? Sorry. Okay. Let me back up a little bit. So anyways, I was laying in bed. I'm trying to see if, do you, can you, I, I see the audio on my thing. Can you guys, can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay, cool. Okay. Um, sorry about that. I don't know what's going on with my computer anyways. And so, um, what ended up happening is, is that I was laying in bed just kind of contemplating everything that was going on with my health. Satan's kind of attacking me um, about just the failures I've been through. And then there's just a brief, clear moment where God spoke to me. He's like, I've taken away your professional success. I've, you, you're dealing with the loss of a good friend and coworker and your health. I've taken away your health. And Jesus simply asked me, am I enough? Am I enough? And, and, and I'll be honest with you, I sat there and thought about it for a second because I had never thought about it in that context. I had never thought about it um, in that way. And, uh, and, and at that moment, I'm like, you know what? Yes. And it's, and it's interesting because then Jesus answered, he says, because I love you exactly the way you are right now. I love you with your health the situation is, and just, and, and, and even going through the failures. And, and it was at that moment where I was just like, I really experienced a new facet of my relationship with Jesus Christ. I've been a pastor for 27 years, um, been doing ministry full time, been doing all of that kind of stuff. And a lot of my relationship with God has been doing stuff for him or ministering to people and stuff like that. But yet I, had never brought it down to the personal level of everything was stripped away. Is he enough? And it was simply because, and, and at that moment I realized, no, no, it's not just enough. He's more than enough. And, uh, um, and, and God just, just really started to minister to me because he just started to show me. He's like, I love you. I love you in spite of your failures. I love you. And even when the health situation, I love you exactly the way you are. Now, here's the thing. I would love to tell you that at that moment, the clouds, you know, parted and, and the sun came through and there was a rainbow and all that kind of stuff, but it wasn't, it didn't happen. In fact, the next day, uh, um, my temperature spiked to 107 degrees 
Um, and it was, it was, it was pretty high all weekend. And on Monday, the following Monday, my oxygen dropped, um, below the levels that it's supposed to. And, uh, the following Thursday, so a week from when Jesus spoke to me, Jesus, when God really spoke to me, I ended up in the hospital literally for my COVID. And I was in there for two and a half days where they were um, giving me medicine and giving me oxygen. And, and, and fortunately I was, was able to leave in two and a half days, which was the shortest time that my hospital doctor had ever seen. In fact, most of the nurses, when I came in said people were in there for 14 to 21 days, which if, you know, if I was in there for 21 days, I'd be leaving today. Um, but I was only in there for two and a half days. And you know, what's interesting is I went in with just this absolute um, peace even though I, I didn't know if I was going to be, you know, in traction with my, you know, laying down in a, on a ventilator. I didn't know any of that stuff. All I knew is, is that that's exactly what I was supposed to do is what my doctor was telling me to do. Um, and, 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 and God just really, um, you know, really ministered to me and my wife. And um, when I got out, it was just, um, man, one, I don't want to go through that again. But two, you know, it's just... It just oftentimes God will use situations like this to show you how um, how real he is. And, and I just wanted to share that with you guys today. Just just real briefly, this a little testimony of what God has done in the last um, in last month of my life. I'm I, I did contract a double pneumonia in my leg in my lungs. And uh, I'm in a slow recovery process. I'm about um, two thirds of the way back to, to normal. My doctor says that my lungs should clear up by the first of um, of November. I still have my blood clot issue on some crazy blood thinning medicine, where I pretty much can't do anything because if I start to bleed, it's a it's a bad thing. So there's still some challenges, but you know what? I can tell you this: God is more real than He's ever been. And uh, he is on the throne and he's doing his thing and, and, and it's just a powerful. So I just wanted to, to share that with you um, and hopefully that will bless you and, and uh, just absolutely, um, uh, you know, um, get you through, get you through the day. Oh, my, that does, that's okay. So anyways, let's start to answer your questions. Rose Williams asks, is prayerlessness a sin? Well, okay, Rose, um, if, if a Christian, um, let me put it in the relationship of a con context of a marriage, because this is the best way I've heard about it. Think about, you, you know, you fall in love um, with a man, you guys decide to get married, and you go through the wedding, and it's wonderful, and it's just awesome. But the day after you get married, you stop talking to your spouse. You never communicate with them. You, you, you never tell them what you're doing, where you're going, what all that kind of stuff. And, and let me ask you this question. If you were in a marriage and you had that instance and you had that scenario, how long do you think your, your marriage would last? Not very long. Not very long. In fact, I think your spouse would be coming up going, what's going on? What's the problem here? And, and so um, is prayerlessness a sin? I can't point you to a verse where it is, but I can tell you the damaging effects of not praying. And, and remember, as Christians, as the church, we're the bride of Christ. And, and every, every bride wants to talk to the groom. And you know what? We have the most open, the most willing, um, the most ready groom that's ever uh, been known to man. And uh, he's just ready to talk to us. So I'm, I'm not going to go as far as saying that prayerlessness is a sin. But man, the, the ramifications of not praying is, is definitely um, uh, has some far-reaching impacts, all right? Miles asks, Chuck, are the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the filling with the Holy Spirit the same thing? Miles, no. 
Okay, um, this is what I believe. And I, I take the Calvary Chapel line. I believe that before you come to Christ, um, the Holy Spirit comes alongside you, convicts you of your sin, shows you of your need of Jesus Christ. Okay, um, and then when you commit to your uh, to commit to follow Jesus Christ in your personal relationship with Him, I believe then the Holy Spirit fills you. Okay, um, and, and and I believe that comes with salvation. Um, Romans five five says that the Holy Spirit fills us with the love of Jesus. Um, and I like that because the whole picture there is of the overflowing. You know, like there's just more love than we can contain. So there's that filling when we receive. But I believe there's an extra thing that's talked about multiple times, not only in the book of Acts, but I think uh, Paul refers it to other places too, because he asked them, have you, have you received the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And they're like, no, we received the baptism of John. And then he begins to pray for people. And often the sign is speaking in tongues, but not always. So I believe there's this final thing of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, where, where literally it, it's the baptizing literally means to overwhelm or to overflow out of us. And this is the picture of the overflowing cup. And so I believe there's that three stage before he comes alongside you. Um, when you receive Jesus Christ, he fills you. That's the guidance of the of God. Um, that's the revealing of scripture to make you understand it. And also the conviction of your sin. And then you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is just this power that comes on. And, and I don't have the time to go into it here, but, but that's what I believe. And so hopefully that, um, that asks, uh, answers your question. Okay. Um, and now the next question we have is with Tunnel Bannon 23. What will happen to our bodies during the rapture? Um, well, that's a great question. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4 talks about how um, at one point we're going to hear this trumpet and this shout. And we're going to look up to the crowd, clouds and Jesus is going to come. And it says all those who are with or for Jesus or who are followers of Jesus are going to be caught up in the air. Um, but 1 Corinthians also talks about in the moment, um, in the twinkling of an eye, it says that we will be transformed. And we will no longer have what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians as these ragged tents. But we will be transformed and we will have these new bodies where there'll be no more pain. Um, there'll be no more um, uh, you know, disease and, and, and our bodies will be perfect. So that's what um, it happens to our old bodies. Well, you know, I don't have any clear theology on that. Um, you know, uh, I think that they're just going uh, to disappear. But that's my own personal um, trajectory. So. Hope that answers your question. If not, kind of answer back and, 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 and I'll try to clarify if, that's, if that wasn't it. Carol, I truly want to be God's servant. And being set apart from corruption would be amazing. How do I know of a surety if I have been sanctified? Well, several times in the New Testament, it's refer, they were referred to as saints. And saints is part of the word sanctify, which means to be set apart. Your sanctification. Now, I believe that there's the initial sanctification, which means that we are plucked out of the world. We're saved from our sins. We're redeemed. We're in that relationship of Jesus Christ. We're set apart into the Lord. We are no longer of the world. We are now part of Christ's body. We are now part of his family. And, um, and so there's that initial sanctification. But then Paul also talks about, you know, in Philippians 1, 6, he who began a good work in you will complete it till the end of days. 
Okay. One of my favorite verses. Why? Well, because when I was growing up a Christian in the, the early years, man, I, I got more wrong than right. And so I clung to that verse because it's God saying simply, he, I'm still working on you. And even when other people's had doubts, God would always remind me of that verse. And, and so you have to understand that there's a process, but listen, the sanctification is very little up to you. And it's mostly up to Christ. But it's our submission to him and allowing to do that work. And so you have been set up, uh, set apart from corruption. You, you, your body is no longer corrupt because you have Christ in you. Um, sin has been defeated. Um, death has been defeated. And, and, and so, but now you're going through this process of being sanctified. And, um, and that happens. There's some certain disciplines you can do, um, you know, obviously going to church, reading your Bible, praying, even fasting. Um, but then it goes on beyond that of, of just really submitting to the leading of the Holy Spirit of where God's trying to work in your life. So hopefully that answers your question, Carol. Um, and so, and then Charlene Anenen. I hope I pronounced that last part last. It says, a good thing about uh, your hospitalization is that they would definitely have been giving you meds to prevent blood clots that you may not have received had you not been there. That's very true. Um, they put me on the blood clots, uh, the blood thinning medicine um, uh, before I got hospitalized because I got I went to the emergency room on one Thursday the fall. It was two following Thursdays after that. Um, so I was taking that medicine before, but they, they continued it and, and my insurance company actually approved even more of it because of that. So yeah, thank you for, that's true. And that stuff is crazy stuff. So um, uh, yeah, anyways. All right, TGN Daily. I've been experiencing the same ministry of the Lord in another way, learning how to trust um, Learning how to trust the presence of God, that he is with me even when things are going wrong. <laughs> wow. Um, that is so true. That is, I mean, <laughs> you know, uh, this is, a, a, our, our walk is a, a, is a daily walk of faith, okay? And that's really, um, it, faith is not saying, okay, this is what I'm going to do today and God bless it. Faith is saying, Lord, um, whatever you have for me, let me be open to it. And, um, and you bless that because I, I, you know, I'd rather be doing what God is blessing than asking God to bless what I want to do. And um, man, learning to trust the presence of God is so powerful. So I, I'm, I'm right there with you because sometimes the lessons are much greater when things are going wrong, if I think you'll agree with me. All right. Suji Shailu. How to balance career and serving at a local church. It's just taken a toll on me as it's too much. Should I just go with the flow with my career and not really give it a lot of importance? Uh, okay, Suji, that is, um, man, that is a great, great question. Okay, so let me, um, let, let me, let me kind of uh, take an interesting slant at this, okay? Because when we receive Jesus Christ, you know, we are called to be part of the local church. And we're called to use our gifts in the local church. Um, and a lot of people have a difficulty with that because their job and often their family and, and other commitments really keep them from that. 
And, um, and, and it sounds like you're doing um, the best that you can. And, but I'm going to talk to you a little bit about seasons, okay? Um, and, and I've seen this. Um, I live right by a military base, okay? And, um, and, and so, you know, we have military families here who, when they're here, they're, they're all in. They're fully committed. But you know what? In a, in a moment's notice, they can be de- um, deployed um, halfway across the world or sent to a three-week class or um, uh, just all these different challenges. And the thing is, is that you have to roll with it. Um, and the, the family rolls with it. And so we try to minister to the family. Um, but we have to roll with it as a church because, you know, if they're a major facet of our ministry, um, we have to not only fill that hole, but we have to, um, we, you know, we have to be ready for when they come back. And so there may be seasons in your life, Suji, where where work demands a lot, and the church should be um, should be uh, understanding of that. Um, and then there will be seasons where work isn't demanding a lot, and the church has a great need of your services. And 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 so my encouragement to you is this: is that um, you need to glorify God in your workplace. Um, but with that comes the responsibility of um, that we don't let our work to turn into an idol, but we don't want to be complacent about our work. So when we go there and when we're supposed and when we're there, we, we do our best. We should be the best worker while we're there. But often the best worker isn't by how much time we spend or how much extra we take on. It's just by doing what we're giving and doing it extremely well. And I've seen a lot of Christians overcommit themselves at work to try to impress the boss or get a promotion or get a raise. And it end up not being what God wants for them at that time. So I'm, I'm going to ask you to pray for wisdom and discernment. Seek the counsel of either your pastor or, or some wise saint at your church. Um, and But learn to see the seasons and, and go with them. And don't feel guilty if God has you um, more committed in one place than another at a certain time. Because it's, it'll all balance out and God knows what he's doing. But make sure that that's what, it's got, it's, it's what God is doing. All right? Okay, Amanda, Rao, or Rao, okay? Um, I have a troubled friend who's a new believer and is obsessed with demons. He believes that Christians can be demon-possessed. He is also into sign to wonders. How do I redirect him? (sighs) Okay, first of all, the major emphasis here is he's a new believer, okay? So you need to kind of give some space, um, and, 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 and some patience with him because they're, they're literally drinking out of a fire hose. Okay. And, and, and so, you know, I've, I've seen new believers get caught up in end time stuff. I've seen new believers get caught up in conspiracy stuff when it comes to scripture or just, you know, they find one certain type of preacher who's into things. And next thing you know, they're just, you know, they, they, their appetite is ravenous, but it's just misdirected. Um, you have to allow room for the Holy Spirit um, to work in their lives. Um, but demons, can Christians um, be demon-possessed? And, and my answer is no. Um, uh, and, um, and, and here's why. Because the fact is, is that he who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. And, um, and I, I just don't believe that. Now, I could be wrong. I, I don't have a lot of experience 
um, with demon possession. Um, I just know um, what I read in the Bible and and what I read um, at other places. And so I don't believe that. Um, um, and so he's going to have to work through that. Um, now he's into signs and wonders. That is not surprising. Okay. Um, because think about it. When, when somebody becomes a new believer, what do we do? We tell them to read the gospels. What are the gospels full of? Signs and wonders. And, 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 and we, uh, you know, think about uh, kids who go to uh, a carnival or amusement park for the first time. And, and they're just kind of walking around just, and they see all the rides. They're like, whoa, you know, uh, as opposed to somebody who works there, you know, and goes there every day. I used to work at a place called Magic Mountain. I see people walk in and they're just like from all over the world. And, and Magic Mountain at that time had some of the greatest roller coasters and they were literally coming to ride those roller coasters. But, you know, you see 50 year old men who are just like, like kids in a candy shop. They're like, whoa. And so a lot of times Christians are that way with signs and wonders. And a lot of times they pursue them. And there's a lot of ministries out there that deal in that. And they, they really, they really just lead people astray. Um, I mean, I've seen so many waves over the 30 years of being in ministry. Um, and, uh, um, and it always just ends up poorly, you know. And so, but what you need to do is you just need to speak wisdom um, in grace into their life and, and allow God to work things out. Okay. Um, and challenge them to be constantly reading their Bible, challenging them to, to, to be listening to teachers who teach the Bible. And, 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 and I believe that, that, that they'll eventually work through that. Um, and, uh, and, and, and just, but be, be there, um, alongside them and, uh, and, and always be there for them, even when, but also let them know that you don't, you don't necessarily agree with them. And that's, that's okay. That's okay. Cause he's working out his faith. Um, and that's what you want to help him. You want to walk alongside him as he works out his faith and, and he'll go through several, several stages of stuff as he goes from new believer to mature believer. All right. What's the next question here? Donna. I've never heard of the term progressive Christianity before I began reading this book. My husband warned me that the term progressive is thrown around politically lately. I have only read the first two chapters and I'm stumped. If progressive Christianity is a thing, can you explain it to me in terms that I can understand? Um, Okay. I don't know what book you're reading. (laughs) And I know that there are, at this stage, hundreds of books out there on um, progressive Christianity. Um, if you want to send me a note and tell me which books it is, Donna, I, I, um, that may help it um, uh, uh, narrow it down. Uh, my friend Miles um, is a much greater expert on uh, progressive Christianity. But let me give you my um, middle America uh, uh, simple pastor uh, a term of progressive progressive Christianity. It's really not a new thing. Um, sorry, getting a phone call. I gotta. Um, it's really not a new thing. Um, it really started in the early 1900s, um, and that was with a lot of mainline denominations that were really um, influenced by some German philosophers um, that were were kind of espousing what they called an anti-supernaturalism, and basically these German theologians, and I can't. I, I can't remember any of their names, 
But um, they basically said that all the supernatural stuff you saw in the Bible wasn't real, okay? And, um, you know, uh, what I want you to, to understand is, is that a lot of these people kind of eschewed, like, a lot of the spiritual stuff of the Bible and, and just really made the Bible about a social gospel. And as, as they went more about social gospel, it was like feeding the poor and teaching people to read and all these different things. Um, what they found is, is that, the, <laughs> that the Bible contradicted a lot of what they were doing, you know, because they thought they could win people to Jesus by doing these things. Um, and so you really saw a split between the main line. And so I'm talking about things like Presbyterian and Methodist and um, Anglican and Episcopal. You saw a real split in those churches in the early 1900s because they believed the anti-supernaturalism, but also too, they kind of got into the whole social gospel. Um, and that's why you've seen a lot of movements like, um, uh, like you know, the, the reform, you know, the new reform movement. And you've seen, you know, even the just um, getting back to the Bible and a lot of the terms skip my mind right now. But a correct Progressive Christian nowadays is really somebody who um, believes a lot of, of the political stuff out there. But, but they take it even further. Um, and, uh, you know, they'll, you know, they believe in, in a lot of things like abortion. Um, they, be, they don't believe um, that a lot of, of scripture. They pick and kind of choose. Um, and they're people, um, sadly, who have lined up with progressive Christians. And so in America, if you look at progressive Christianity, you'll see a lot of the similarities in, um, in, in the progressive church. And so some things that you'll see are um, ordained um, gay and lesbian, um, or, you know, the, 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 the pastor of the church, you know, is, uh, confessed homosexual and, you know, married to their partner. Um, and you'll see that a lot. Um, other areas that you see it is in, um, in social areas, they, um, you know, they, uh, will, will push a lot of uh, agendas. And so the, the thing I, I want to encourage you with Donna is this, is that it's a real thing. It's growing. It's growing, especially with the younger generation, um, because they 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 don't want to be uh, you know confrontational to what everybody else is in the media is espousing, and so it's a real thing. So, but I would love to know what book you're reading, um, um, and uh, and maybe that can give a little bit more clarity. All right, N asks, what is Galatians six six talking about? Is it about financial support to teachers or something else? Um, Okay, so Galatians 6, 6, you have the new king, let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Okay, um, I have the ESV. Sometimes it's good to throw in uh, another translation. So let me, let me read what this says. It says, one who is taught the word must share with uh, um, all good things with the one who teaches. Okay, um, yes, is it financially? Um, what this is talking about, and, and P, uh, Paul mentions this in several, um, in several books, um, especially in, sec, in, in Timothy, but it's about the support of pastors, okay? Now, just this last Sunday, I was teaching in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, where Paul says, I didn't take a dime from you. Now, I'm paraphrasing this, okay? He's like, he's like I didn't take a dime from you, even when I was in need, and he's talking about a health issue. Um, he's like, I never took a dime from you. But, and a lot of people have taken that saying, well, pastors shouldn't be um, paid. And that's not what Paul's saying. 
Corinth was a very wealthy city, and, and I'm not sure if you guys have been around wealthy people, but it seems that the wealthier you get, the more issues you have with money. And so basically, you know, Paul didn't want the Corinthians to lodge a charge about him, that he was just taking advantage of them for their money, like some of the other super apostles um, he was fighting with in that church. And so he never took a dime. At first, he was a tent maker. And then the interesting thing, and probably the most humiliating thing for Corinth was, is that he accepted money from Macedonia, which was the poorest region. So here he was taking missionary support from the poorest churches to minister to the most wealthy church at that time. So, um, but Paul was getting support. And so, yes, pastors do need to be paid a livable wage for the work that they do. And sadly, in a lot of churches, that is just not the case. And so when Paul says, one who is taught the word must share all good things with the one teaches, he's not talking about the pastor. He's, ta- he's putting the responsibility upon the congregation member that the tithes and offerings that they give are there to support the pastor. And, and so, um, you know, that's what, the, the, you know, and of course, <laughs> this is the end of Galatians, okay? And, and and I always love the end of Paul book, but it's like a machine gun of like instruction. So he's like, ba 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 ba. He just 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 you know. I mean, you see it in the end of Romans, you see it in the even in the end of Corinthians, and he's just laying things out, but he doesn't give any explanation like he does in the previous chapters. Well, I think as he's talking to the Galatians, there's really not any need for explanation that that people who are part of a church are are, are responsible to take care of the needs of the church and, and to make sure that the pastor has, has a livable wage so that money doesn't become a stumbling block or a distraction or a worry. All right. Hopefully that answers um, your, your question. Um, and uh, Tay. Ratliff, by the way, your message today really ministered to me. That blesses me. I really felt led by the Spirit to share. So thank you for confirming that. I'm newer to this channel, even though I've been using David Guzik's Bible commentary for a while now. Our God is so faithful to give us what we need to hear. Uh, Hey, thanks for saying that, Tay. Um, You know, God has really been blessing the ministry of Enduring Word and really using David in a lot of new ways, especially since COVID. One is this YouTube channel. It is just absolutely blown up. If you aren't listening to his daily devotions um, on YouTube, I really want to encourage you guys to subscribe to this channel. Um, for all you guys in, in the uh, TWR 360, uh, man, we're so blessed by all you guys joining in. Um, God is really doing a powerful work. And, you know, the amount of people that go to his website, either through EnduringWord.com or Blue Little Bible, or and even the app. If you haven't downloaded the app, I mean, there's a lot of good, good things on the horizon for that as well. Want to encourage you to do that. But I mean, he's his goal is to translate it into the top ten languages um, in the world, and, and and he's we're making strides in that. Um, there's other languages like German, like you know, there's a church in Germany that's taking it on by themselves and to endure, to uh, interpret the whole New Testament in German. And man, so God is just expanding this ministry. And, uh, and this YouTube Q&A is just one of the few things that does that. So thanks for saying that, Tay. Just a little, little plug right there for everything that uh, Enduring Word is doing, okay? Um, man, great questions today. And people from all over the place, too. So um, real big thanks to, to Devin and, and, uh, and uh, Andrea for helping moderate this. They're, they're, they're the one keeping me on as much track as I possibly can. So Paige asked the question, how do we know what verses are speaking to us as believers, particularly from the Old Testament? And what ones God is not directing to us, such as when God is speaking to his nation, Israel? Okay, 
you know, okay, so I, on Wednesday nights, I'm teaching through the Old Testament. Um, and we're in the book of Joshua, and I talked about the sin of Achan. Okay. Um, and I always tell our people this. What often is a physical principle for Israel can often be translated into a spiritual principle for New Testament believers. Now, that's not always the case. And of course, I'm generalizing here. But, but what I want you guys to, so the sin of Achan, okay? And when they do the battle of Jericho, God destroys Jericho. He says, devote everything to destruction and anything of value bring to the Lord's treasury. Well, Achan didn't do that. What he did was he went and he took this beautiful coat. He took all of this silver, bronze, and a gold bar and went and hid it underneath his tent. And God says, if you do this, I will devote your camp to destruction. Okay, well, the next day they go out to battle AI and and one of the few cases they lose men. 36 men die um, and all because of Achan's sin. Now, what are the spiritual things there? That's what we have to look at spiritually. Well, one, God doesn't like sin in our life because it separates us from him. But two, there are times where we need to devote things to the Lord. The battle of Jericho was one of the few places in Joshua where the things that were um, plundered from the city that they that they destroyed were given to the Lord, to the Lord. The rest of the stuff the Israelites got themselves, and so it's also a matter of obedience. So we have to look at that and say, okay, Israel had to obey what God was saying. What can we do as as Christians to obey the Lord? And, and what happens when the sin comes into our life, and and how God wants to um, to bring that. Uh, uh, conviction to our lives. So I hope that helps. Um, obviously, if you're going through a lot of the laws in, in, in the Pentateuch, um, a lot of those are, you know, you can spit the bones out, um, and and uh, but don't over-spiritualize things either. That's also a danger. So hope that encourages you, Paige. Team Bible asks, other than the specific command to John to pen Revelation, where did Jesus tell his apostles to write down, write anything down and compile it into an authoritative book? Okay, this is a good question. But you have to remember, a lot of the things in the New Testament, what we know as the epistles, weren't God so much telling um, Paul to write things down as it were, he was writing letters to the church and he was addressing issues. First and second Corinthians are a perfect case. Exerio. Um, we have two books, but we know there's four. Okay. Well, the two books are the ones that God wanted in the Bible. We don't know where the other two books are. Some people postulate that, that they're within the other books, um, but they're not. But we do know that with all the issues that Paul had with Corinth, you know, multiple visits, it was the place he spent the second most time behind Ephesus. Um, and all the issues, he wrote two letters and made several visits, okay? And why? Because he had a lot of problems in Corinth. There was the, the false apostles. There was preaching a false gospel. You had some people in sin. Um, you had some people unwilling to... Um, uh, with. Um, to restore the person after they repented of their sin. So, so Paul's like dealing with all these issues. And so he's often writing letters to churches. Now, the Gospels, um, and if you haven't re- watched the series, The Chosen, I, I really encourage you guys to do that because it kind of brings a, a lot of things to life. Don't expect it to be uh, biblically accurate. If you're one of those people, I encourage you not to watch it. But, but man, it really ministered to me and my wife, and I can't wait for the third season. But here's the thing. Those were accounts and they are written by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, okay? Two who were apostles. 
one who was a uh, a doctor slash theologian, another one who was just a, a you know who who basically um, took Peter's words. Okay, so the, you know you could basically say Mark is, um, and it was all of these guys' accounts, and they were written to bless the church and to kind of send them on um, about what Jesus did. Okay, and, and so God, uh, we don't see a lot of times where um, where God spoke to them to write that, but you know. But, but the spirit really moved. And we see that in the Gospel of John because his is written after the other three, and he kind of fills in a lot of the holes. So I hope that helps you there. Um, <laughs> and then like, somebody's asking, is your church main sanctuary behind you? Please show. <laughs> well, I can't move my computer. I'm sorry. Um, let, me, let me try to move a little bit. Let's see if you guys can see this. Yes, this is my church sanctuary holds about 200 seats. The reason I'm sitting here is because last time I did this, I was in my office, but um, we sold our building, um, the same building we're in right now. We're just kind of renting back. Um, and we're in the process of trying to purchase, well, we're, we're looking for another facility for God to move us. And so I have this temporary office where I'm at today because I don't have my old office and this is where the best internet is. Um, and so that's what's going on. Okay. Maggie asks, what do you consider signs and wonders? Okay, well, I mean, let's let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, okay? If you give me a second, I will I, I will turn there. Um, but I but it talks about a lot of the gifts here, okay? Um, and, and this will kind of help us. I'm I'm not going to be able to list all the signs and wonders because um, but um, it says Let's read this. It says, now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. And so if you really want to know what a lot of the signs and wonders are, uh, read this chapter because it talks about people having these gifts. Okay. And it says in verse four, now there's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. And there are a variety of activities, but it's the same God. Okay. For one is given through the spirit, utter of wisdom, utterance of wisdom, and to another utterance of knowledge. So that's the gift of wisdom and knowledge. Okay. Um, and then it goes on and says to another um, faith by the same spirit. So there's a supernatural gift of faith. Okay. Um, and then to another one, um, I got to keep my spot here. Here it says to another gifts of healing. So God works through people to heal. Those, all of these things are signs and wonders. Let me tell you why. Um, because like the gift, God has worked through me in the, the, the gift of the um, of wisdom and knowledge. And he's just let me know things about people um, that I don't know. <laughs> and it's just things that I, that he just reveals to me and I'll speak into the people. And they're like, how do you know that? I'm like, I don't, God just spoke it to me. And they're like, no, you're lying. My wife had to call you last night. I, trust me. I've had that discussion multiple times. And I'm like, no, no, no. God is just saying, this is what's going on in your life. And, and you need to get this right. Or God wants to do this in your life, but you just need to step out um, in faith and not live in fear kind of thing. So there's times like that. Okay. And, and, and the people are really blown away because they think I'm literally, I've opened their mail and I'm reading it to them. Um, for those of you old enough to remember what mail was. Um, and so, but there's all of these gifts in here, you know, and, and there's signs and wonders. And we, you want to see a lot of the signs and wonders you see where, you know, Jesus healed blind people, but he never did it the same way. You, you see where he, you know, resurrected people from the dead, like Lazarus and the boy in the, in the funeral procession. Um, he walked on water. Um, he, he calmed the sea. So a lot of these are signs and wonders, okay? And the Pharisees, who had absolutely no faith, all they wanted to see sign and wonders, and God's like, or Jesus is like, you're not going to see it. 
So I hope that answers your questions. The Gospels have a lot of uh, physical, you know, application of the signs and wonders. And, and 1 Corinthians talks about the gifts that are used to bring about those signs and wonders. So, Maggie, I hope that answers your questions. Brittany, with all children under the age of accountability, will all, okay, all children under the age of accountability be included in the rapture? <laughs> Brittany, thank you for asking this question. Now, the real question is, what is the age of accountability? And man, talk about a raging debate because you have people who say eight or they say 13 or anything in between. Um, you'll have people even go lower, which I, I refuse to go lower than the, the age of eight. Um, I don't know why. There's no, I mean, there, there's absolutely no scripture in there that talks about the age of accountability. Okay. Um, but here's the thing. Um, I believe our God is a gracious, loving, wonderful God, okay? And um, I believe what he told Peter, that he hopes that no one will perish. So yes, whatever that age of accountability is in God's system, yeah, the kids underneath it will be included in the rapture, okay? I'm as certain as I can be about that, um, and I hope, um, Brittany, that that answers your question. Okay, um, Arminda. I'm reading the book of Numbers right now, and I'm in chapter 31. Why is God telling um, Israel to attack the Midianites for causing them to commit idolatry? If it was the Moabites who were responsible. And also, Moses was married to a Midianite. Why wasn't it a problem for Moses to be married to one if they were so evil? Okay, wow. That's a great question. So Numbers 31, let me, let, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, but I just like to be um, um, very um, in sync with what, what you're asking right here. So um, let me, let me turn to that. Okay. Now we all remember this guy named Balak. Okay. Um, uh, or Balak and Balaam. And, ba and Balak hired Balaam to come and, and prophesy against Israel, and that didn't happen. And, and he three times, and finally his donkey talked to him, okay? Well, well, Balaam comes back, and he says, if you really, really want Israel to trip up, he says, get, get them to commit idolatry. And so they throw this feast, um, and, and Israel just falls for it hook, line, and sinker, Okay. And, and they're committing idolatry, and um, it's just it's just um, all of this stuff. Now, what ends up happening is is that God seeks His um, revenge on that for causing the people of Israel to stumble, and so He calls on Israel to to defeat them. Now, there's a couple purposes in that because one, God hates idolatry, and He especially hates it within His people. But the second thing is is simply this: is that God also wants to send a sign to the countries in the promised land, okay? It's important to understand this, okay? Because they're getting ready. They're getting very close to the Jordan and everybody knows it. And they've already known that they've crossed the Red Sea. Now they're gonna defeat these armies because before everybody's like, well, you know, they're just this, con this country that's coming over here. We don't know anything about the military. But it says, as we read, we read uh, Rahab, it says that when they commit, they, they defeated these two kings, that the hearts of the people of Jericho melted. So we see this after effect that God is doing this. Now, was Moses married to a Midianite? Yes. Okay. And, um, and, and, and it's the perfect case that you can't always throw the baby out with the bathwater. 
all right? He was brought in by his wife's uh, father because he helped these female shepherdess to get water much sooner because these ladies would pull the... Um, would pull the water off and then other people would kind of push in. Um, and so Moses kind of, you know, fought them off and let them get, let their sheep get fed. And so, um, uh, and so he came in and he married the oldest daughter and she was a Midianite. And he lived with them for 40 years uh, until God called them back until God called them back to Egypt. Okay. And it's not the first time that we've seen one of the leaders um, marry uh, uh, a foreigner. We see Boaz do it um, with, uh, with Ruth. Okay. Rahab, was saved and she was um, was was married in. Both those ladies ended up being part of the lineage of Jesus. And so, um, so anyways, what I'm trying to tell you guys is is that um, God can do some pretty amazing things um, in, in these kind of circumstances. And and never look at just what's going on right now. And understand that when God does something, oftentimes it has a future ramification too. So he defeated the Midianites because the Midianites led people into idolatry. And then he used that defeat to bring fear upon, especially Jericho, but basically the whole promised land of the Canaanites and Amorites. And so that when Joshua led them, they were already um, going there. So, all right. Um, I think, oh, let's see. Do we have, was that the last question? Um, Arminda, I hope that answers your question. Okay. Um, and, uh, because, um, you know, we have to understand God doesn't like idolatry in our life. Okay. And, um, God, um, uh, didn't like it in the Israelites, Israelites, and he didn't like how quickly they stumbled, um, when that happened. So hopefully that answers your question. Um, that I believe is all, um, the questions that I have for today. And, um, Hey, <laughs> All you guys who tuned in, um, thank you. Those uh, the people from uh, TWR, TRW. I'm sorry, I'm dyslexic. 360. Thank you guys for turning in, <laughs> and um, and I survived this one much better than I did last time. <laughs> my wife made fun of me last time because by the end of the thing, my face was just getting redder and redder because because I was getting more and more nervous, and I knew I'd be more relaxed this time. And thank you for hearing me out, and hopefully. Um, you know, I hit the target as close as I could on all of your questions. And uh, thanks for just being a part of today. So God bless you guys. Have a wonderful day. And uh, we'll see you next time. You've been listening to a message by Pastor David Guzik for Enduring Word. For more information about our ministry and how to grow in your relationship with Jesus, please visit EnduringWord.com.